Good morning, everyone. Um, we're going to be reading from James chapter 1, um, verses 1 to 16. I'll just keep going. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, trials, and temptations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be nature, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It, its blossoms falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Amen. Isn't it easy? To tell others to have faith in God? <laughs> Especially when you are untouched by their circumstance, <laughs> by their situation. For the umpteenth time, Mrs. Youngston came to her pastor to tell him, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm so scared. You know how Joe is. And he's not just an unbeliever. He hates church. He says he's going to kill me if I continue to come to your church. Yes, yes, my child, replied the pastor. More than a little tired of hearing this over and over again. I will pray for you, my child. I will pray for you, Mrs. Youngston. Have faith. 
Lord will watch over you. Oh yes, he has kept me safe thus far, only God. But only, uh, what, what, my child, said the pastor, what? Well, well, now he says if I keep coming to your church, he's going to kill you. Well, now, said the pastor, perhaps you should pray at home for a while and not come to church. I think this is a matter for the police. Yeah. James, the entire book of James talks about faith and works. And the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1, actually tells us, sort of, who wrote the book of James. Because James is listed as the author. Problem is, there are a few James in the New Testament. But it's been historically accepted that this James who is recognized as the author of the book of James, was actually a bro brother of Jesus. Interestingly, he was not a believer during Jesus' life on earth. Read Mark chapter 3, verse 21 and onward. And then in John chapter 7, verse John records, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. However, James became a believer after the resurrection of Christ. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, wrote, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. That's Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19. James became a leader of the church at Jerusalem. Matter of fact, Peter singled him out when reporting about his miraculous escape from prison in Acts chapter 12, verse 17. We read that Peter mentioned and he motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Then he said, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. James spoke to the Jerusalem church council. One of the first recorded church councils. In Acts chapter 15. And was recognized by Paul as one of the pillars of the church in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9. Now the date of this book, that this book was written, is a little uncertain. They didn't, you know, when you, when you write a, a document, I hear the legality of a document sometimes depend on whether it has a date or not. If it doesn't have a date, then... In some places, it's 
I know in Jamaica, if a document doesn't, is not dated, it's not, it's not a legal document. This book was not necessarily dated. So the date is uncertain, but most agree that it was probably one of, if not the first, of the New Testament books written. Hmm. This book was written to believers of the diaspora, which means believers who were scattered because of persecution, mostly at the time Jewish believers. Chapter 1, verse 1 actually speaks to this. Believers in the diaspora, it reads. The message throughout the book of James is for Christians to pursue a life of holiness and responsibility in everyday life because of their faith in Christ. For James, faith was not just some abstract proposition lodged in the minds of saints, but had effects in the real world where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So here's the question. How strong is your faith? How strong is your faith? We know of scriptures that says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and it will be done. But how strong is your faith? Can you recognize the hand of God in everyday situations? There's a story about a nun who worked for a local elder care center, health center. She was out making her rounds when her car ran out of gas. Just before frustration set in, she noticed that there was a gas station just down the street. So she got up out of her car and she walked to the gas station to borrow a can you know, where she can get enough gas to go back to her car and pour the gas in and start the car and just get it to the station so she can fill up her gas tank. The attendant at the gas station regretfully told her that the only gas can that he owned, that he had, was just loaned out. But she wouldn't have to worry because he didn't think the person was going to take that long, but he didn't know when the person was going to be back. The nun thought, well, since I'm on the way to see a patient, she decided not to wait. Instead, she walked back to her car and decided to look inside her car you know, for a container that could carry gas. After looking through her car for something to carry to the gas station to fill with gas, she couldn't find anything. But then she, she spotted, remember now, she was going to visit an elderly person, an elderly patient, and she spotted a bedpan that she was going to take to a patient. Well, resourceful and thinking, she said, this will do. 
So she took the bedpan to the gas station, filled it with gas, and brought it back to the car. As she was pouring the gas into the tank from the bedpan, two men walked by. One of them turned to the other and said, No, that is what I call faith. Ha! The old nun is probably just drunk. This I gotta see for myself, replied the other. When the nun finished pouring the gas into the car from the bedpan, went into the car, started the car, and drove off, the other man just fell to the floor faint with disbelief. But really, how strong is your faith? You see, in the first chapter, James speaks about faith and a right approach to temptation. The background of this letter was that difficulties of life had caused some of the early saints to drift spiritually, leading to all forms of problems, unbridled speech, bad attitude, doubts, strife, carnality, and just shallow faith. James responded with down-to-earth advice and practical exhortations, which he used to try to balance right belief with right living. Balancing faith and works in everyday life has always been and remains today as one of the greatest challenges for the Christian church. The heart of the message of James is the real faith produces authentic deeds. Real faith produces authentic deeds. You see, not every person who does good works is a believer. But every believer produces good works. <laughs> Amen. But sometimes it takes a little bit of trial. It takes a little bit of hardship. That's a hard pill to swallow. Especially for Christians who live in the first world, who have freedom of worship and freedom in worship. <laughs> and temptation and trials to us mean a certain thing, a certain life experience. And then I hear about Sylvester was here last week and he shared with me about coming back from Nigeria and coming back and talking about Christians in Nigeria who are under severe pressure. That they, in certain parts of Nigeria, they now have to start worshiping in secret. And I'm saying, 21st century, what? 
And trials and persecution for them is at another level. And if we don't understand, we should at least appreciate their difficulties and pray for that part of the body of Christ. Amen. But in our own circumstance, in our own life experience, in our own little world, you know, trials, it's a hard pill to swallow. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap, the job's a game. In every task you undertake, become a piece of cake, a lark, a spree. It's very clear to see. Anyone? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Takes a spoonful of sugar, helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, the medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. <laughs> My mother was no Mary Poppins, but... Uh, Mary Poppins was, of course, instructing the two children, Jane and Michael, to clean their room. But even though the task is daunting, with a good attitude, she said, it can still be done and it can still be fun. As I said, my mom was no Mary Poppins. But when we were growing up, if we got sick, my mom used to crush, you know, aspirin or what, you know, just, oh. You ever taste aspirin? My mom used to take the back of the spoon, aspirin inside a tablespoon, and she would take a teaspoon and, and just crush it. And who knows about, uh, you know, condensed milk? Oh, yeah. And just sweeten condensed milk and just pour the condensed milk. And not a spoonful of sugar, but a spoonful of condensed milk will make the medicine go down. <laughs> But that a child of God should have to pass through many and various trials. It's been a difficult for Christians. It's difficult for us to accept. And in my experiences, in my, you know, as a pastor, I have received quite a few, quite a few inquiries as to this problem. Possibly some people have misunderstood feeling that the, you know, that, that, that the Christian is expected to count pain and sorrow as a good thing in and of themselves. Uh, no, pain is pain. Sorrow is sorrow. It's bad. It's hurtful. It's painful. And I do not believe this is the meaning of the statement that James makes. Elsewhere in scripture, we are told that no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. Of course, it's grievous. But then we're not merely living for the present. For each of us, there is the afterwards. 
the future prospect, and it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Who among us would not be glad if the fruit of affliction could be produced by some more pleasant nature? But we really don't have the right to question God, do we? Romans chapter 8 tells us that all things will work for our good. Hard scripture to believe when you're going through trials. Hard scripture to accept. Hard scripture to remember. Because when you're going through pain, you're not going to remember the, the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> You're not going to remember that. If you do, God bless you. Because I find, in my experience, that's the hardest time to remember those scriptures. And for Christians, here's my question to you. Where are you with your trials? Where are you with your trials? Your serious trials. Where are you with the storm? Because I can tell you, you're in one of three locations. <laughs> you're either in a storm. You're either just coming out of a storm. Or you are going into a storm. <laughs> Because if you're in a storm, I'm going to remind you now that Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Where the, where, the, where the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Mm. Maybe you're not in a storm, but... Maybe you were celebrating because you just came out of a storm. Maybe God just gave you victory. Maybe you're just coming down from the mountaintop. Well, you know what? If you're, if you're, if you're on the mountaintop you know, and, and you're continuing to travel, you know, one, 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 one direction to go after that, you know, you're going back into the valley. And yes, the Christian life is... It is a meandering. It is an experience of mountaintops and valleys. But the difference, the difference is God is with us. And James is saying, have faith in God. He will take you through. God knows the bitter agonies of sorrow. Jesus knows. Come on, who suffered more than he did? He knows the agony of his own soul and the shame and suffering on the cross. That the sin question was satisfactory dealt with at Calvary. He knows. He knows the suffering caused by our sin. He knows. And because he knows, he can empathize with us. Herein lies the victory. It is possible to rejoice in the trial. Amen. Amen. For Lord Jesus, it is written, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
He knew what was before and he endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. This was the experience of many in the early church. Peter and the other apostles turned from their persecutors, rejoicing that they were counted worthy. Wow! Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And I tell you what, God will be with you through every situation, God will be with you. Amen? Amen. I follow the Jamaican newspaper almost religiously every day. And, 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 and you know, 30 years after leaving the Caribbean, I, I see that the more things change, the more things stay the same. Marchpen Road is an area of Spanish town in Jamaica where the gangs ruled. 30 years ago, they ruled. And I was blessed by God to be pastor of a church there. Church had just a tremendous, just a lot of young people. I, I'd say 75% of my congregation was under 30 years of age. It's a lot of young people. Didn't have a car, took the bus. Took the bus from where I lived in Kingston to Spanish Town Bus Depot, and then I would either take a taxi, if it was way too hot, or I would walk. Because it was about three quarters of a mile from the bus depot to the, the church. And, and, and one evening, one Sunday evening, I was locking up the church, and those days, you know you, you know, you had to impress people as a young minister, so you had your attached case. You know, you look official, you know. Yeah, come on now, you look official. And, and, and I had my attached case, and, uh, I, and, and the whole area was owned by the government. People were squatters. In other words, they built little houses, they built little shacks illegally. Confession time. So did my church. <laughs> we built, and after we built a church on the government land illegally, then we wrote the government and asked them if we could have the land, and thank God they gave us the land. But after turning off the church light, that entire area, if the, if, if the moon was not bright, went dark. Because the street lights, they, 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 they were on and off like, you know, they were like a mathematical um, arithmetic sequence. On, off, on, off, you know. And, and I, I shut the church, turned off the lights and shut the church door and I 
turned around and as I turned around, I didn't hear this, this man because he just sneaked up behind me on a bicycle that I did not hear. And as I turned around, there was the cold eight and a half inch blade of a ratchet knife at my throat. Give me all the church money. I had a policy then, and I still do. I don't handle church funds. I don't handle church money. And I can remember I was listening to myself and surprised because I'm, it was almost as if someone else was speaking and not me. And I'm saying to myself, why do I sound so calm? I'm trembling. I'm frightened. But my voice was very calm. And out of my mouth came these words. I don't have any church money and the only money that I have in my pocket is my bus fare and you're not getting that. With a ratchet knife by my throat and I'm saying this is crazy. And he looked at me and he jammed it a little closer and he says, I said, give me the, and I said, you're not, I said, I don't have the church money. You're asking the wrong man. And through the moonlit skies, lit up my face and he probably saw, I don't know, you know, whether he saw that I, I, I was shaking. But then all of a sudden, he dropped the knife from my, from my throat and he looked at me and he said, Oh, it, it, it's a joke I was making, Pastor. I said, No, you were not joking. Then these words came from my mouth and I remember, I didn't even think of these words. I said, God gave you that hand. Why are you using that hand for evil? Why not use it for good? God gave you that hand. He can take it away. Wednesday I went back for prayer meeting and I told some of my young people and I described the man because the moonlight was just enough and they said, oh, pastor, that's Tony D. He's a lieutenant in some gang that they, I don't even remember the name of the gang. He's a lieutenant in, 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 in the gang. He let you walk? I said, I think God let me walk. <laughs> Pastor, let's, and, and that Sunday, that's, that's, that Wednesday, sorry, after Bible study, I had, a, I had a group of about 12 young people walking with me to the bus station. They wouldn't let me walk alone. Sunday morning now, I'm going to church. Took the bus, came off the bus at the bus depot, and I'm walking to church. And on the right side of the church, just across the road from the church, there was a, a little grocery store with about five steps going down. And there was a group of about 12, 13, 14 guys sitting, talking, liming, as we say. Tony, 
That's you? Yeah, pastor, that's me. What happened to you? I get caught in a crossfire. Tony got shot. Three places. And if you can just imagine of three places that he got shot. He got shot in the wrist. He got shot in the forearm. He got shot in the bicep. In the right hand. The right arm. He had a cast from finger to shoulder. He had a brace from the elbow to his waist. He was like this. And I took a couple steps and it just hit me. I turned around, I said, Tony. I couldn't even say to him, remember what I said to you. I said, remember what was said to you? God gave you that arm. God gave you that hand. He can take it away. And he just bowed his head, shook his head like this, and he couldn't even look me in the eyes. I said, God took it away. Whatever your trials are, God will be with you. Because the trying of your faith is going to do what? Build you up to perseverance. Amen. It is possible to rejoice even in trials because I can tell you this. When I got home that, that night after having that knife, I, I, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. I think, I, I think that was probably the longest I ever spent on my knees in prayer. <laughs> and the Wednesday before going back to that church, I, 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 was, I, was, I was in prayer like nothing. I was praying God, I don't know if I'm going to meet this man, I don't, but this is what you have called me to do. If I perish, I perish, but I am going to serve you, God. Amen. So what's the driving force for you to do the right thing? What's the motivation for you to live right? What's the thing that really tells you that, you know what, I, I should really do this because it's the right thing? What's the, what's the driving force? What's the impetus? Paulie, the parrot, ended up in a pet store as his owner had passed away. A pet lover saw Polly and just fell in love with the parrot. Asked about the price. The pet store owner told him the amount, but warned him. He said this parrot's name is Polly, but Polly had lived for years with an old drunk who cursed constantly. 
And Paulie had picked up his cursing habits. The store owner also said that he had tried many techniques to rid the bird of cursing, but with no success. The man gleefully took on the challenge as he prided himself as the pet whisperer. <laughs> After months of trying every technique he used, and yes, he did check YouTube also, didn't work. No success. He was just about ready to give up. He was going bonkers. The parrot was driving him crazy. He was repeating everything he said with numerous curses adding at the end. One day in a fit of rage after being mimicked by the bird constantly, everything he said, everything you say, with some curses, he lost it. He grabbed the parrot, threw the parrot in the guest bedroom, but through the walls he only heard the parrot cursing. Finally, he had had it. He grabbed the parrot, put the parrot in the freezer, and closed the door. For a while he heard the fluttering of wings, then suddenly, nothing. Silence. Oh no. He had killed Polly. He quickly ran to the fridge and opened the freezer door. Polly was not dead. But the parrot sheepishly said, I am so sorry for cursing. I will never curse again. The man was shocked. What had overcome the bird to bring about this change? Polly turned and pointed to the headless and foot, footless frozen Thanksgiving turkey in the freezer and said, I don't know what he did, but I don't want to end up like him. I'll never curse again. What motivates you to do the right thing? Our motivation for doing the right thing should not be fear, but should be driven by a sincere love for our Lord. How many of us have said these words, Oh Lord, give me patience. Hmm? <laughs> but according to James, that's a serious request. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops patience. <laughs> so if you're asking for patience, you're literally asking for God to test you. But the fact is, we want the results without the process. In worldly words, we want the gain without the pain. James reminds us that there is a real benefit to trials. But we must have the right approach. He says, allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may mature and, and be complete, not lacking anything. Now, if any of you lack wisdom, which is the, 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 the ability to make the right choices, the ability to make the, the good choices in difficult situations, God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Mm. Without finding fault. Aren't you glad that God isn't like us? 
Because we, we, we find fault. Come on now. We find fault with people. And because we find fault, we withhold gifts. We withhold benefits, presents. We withhold our love. We withhold kisses. We withhold hugs from people around us simply because we find a fault in them. They did something we don't like. They did something that they didn't do it the way we wanted them to do it. They did something that they didn't do it like us. They broke a promise. They didn't do something our way. They disobeyed. They didn't listen. They were not there for you. They, they, well, you get the picture. We say to our children, to our grandchildren, to our spouses, our siblings, our friends, we say, you don't deserve to get this or that. We might not verbally say it, but it's in our hearts. We find faults, so we judge. And we judge, so we find faults. <laughs> this cycle is crippling and enslaving, but it's not God's way. Amen. He gives generously to all without finding fault. We only have to ask in faith. Let us believe that God will help us through whatever we are going through. Let us put ourselves in his hands. God promises wisdom to live righteously only if we ask. And finally... Let us have the eternal perspective. Verse 12 tells us, Blessed is the man who perseveres on the trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. One songwriter puts it this way, It will be worth it all. When we see Jesus, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. The eternal perspective. Now, we don't mean that you should have your head in the sky and not be worried about things on the earth. Because we do know, I, I know of some people, they're so heavenly minded, they're, they're no earthly good. <laughs> but we live our lives on earth knowing that we're only sojourners. We're only travelers. Amen? Because we have a mansion being prepared for us. With that perspective, we can take the trials. We can take the testing. We can know that through all of this, God is also going to open a way for us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. God will not give us more than we can bear. But will with every temptation also make a way of 